Hey out there in podcast land, welcome to Caregiving is the Ministry, where we look at the Word of God through the lens of caregiving. We're on our last part of Romans, Romans part three, still continuing to read from the New International Version. Let's get started. Chapter 11, verses one through two. I asked then, did Jesus reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that scripture says in the passage of Elijah how he appealed to God against Israel? Verses 16 through 20, same chapter. In the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy. Then the if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Verses 17 through 20. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root. But the root supports you. You will say then, branches are broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, with, but tremble. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and po- proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith of God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Chapter 12, verse 21 through chapter 13, verse 2. We're going to go all the way through verse, I mean, chapter 13, verse 2. So 1 and 2. Do not be overcome Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. Except the one, except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable manners, matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another's whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. Where have we heard that before? Chapter 15, 1 through 3. We who are strong ought to bear 
with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for it is good to build them up. For even God did not, did not please himself, but it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Verse 14, same chapter. Myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. So Paul continues with these sets of scriptures. He kind of opens up with still providing a defense for the Jewish community, right? And so it's very apparent to me that this body of believers, the Gentiles, they were Gentiles, um, saw themselves as being higher than now the Jews. You know, they, they were placing themselves on a pedestal, so to speak, that they were somehow better than the Jews because now they accepted Jesus Christ. But Paul is providing solid reason that they don't need to think this way. That was the whole, the root. The root is still Jews because that's how Jesus came through, came to us was through the Jewish community. So now how do you think that you are better than them? You're not. And you allow God to deal with them as he will. And there's another passage where Paul says, do you think that he's forgotten about his, the Jewish community in, in, in Israel? He has not, but God will deal with them as he sees fit, but we aren't to condemn them as so many people do. You know, there's so many things that are anti-Semitic somatic in, in this world. And I don't understand why, <laughs> but we, as the body of believers, we can't do that. Then he jumps back to instructing them on how to conduct themselves in a matter, manner that is reflective of now their newness in Christ. How they are to live is a way to bring worship to the Lord. Our, our lives are a worship to the Lord. I know we, we think about, oh, I'm going to church to worship. And we do collectively, right? Where we, we sing the songs and we bring our offerings and, and you know, we worship him. But our lives, our day-to-day -day lives are a worship to God, a sweet aroma to his nostrils. And so Paul, Paul, Paul is speaking to this, you know, everything that you do ought to be done to the Lord. That's your proper worship. I find it um, interesting that they thought themselves a little bit better than, you know, the Gentiles. And I know I may be jumping here too, but I think that Sometimes we can wrestle with that, that we think that we're better off than non-believers, or at least I did. And I wrestled with it because I knew that thinking I was better off than people who didn't come to know Christ was wrong. And so I wrestled with what it was that I was trying to determine or to say. And what I came to the conclusion was it's not that I think that I'm better, but that I'm better off. I have a better understanding because I know Jesus Christ. I'm not better. I'm just better off. And what makes it me better off is that I have a relationship with my creator and all the promises that come with him, you know, the relationship I'm now under his protection. And since God is no respecter of persons, anyone can come to him. Anyone can know better and do better. So I don't think that I'm better off. I just, I just know better. 
and I understand a little bit better, but I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm better. And I know most of you don't either. But after he kind of addresses that for the last time, then he goes on to, you know, address what to me appears to be a dismissal or a disrespect of authority or not submitting to authority within that body of believers. Now, he doesn't classify whether the authority is the church or outside the church, but one can make the argument that since he's writing to the church, the authority that he's speaking about is the authority in the church. But understanding that they also talked about the, his letters when you studied him, you also learned that some of the things that they address, that he addressed and the other apostle addresses, that they address are, they have to do with what the body of believers are experiencing as far as the socioeconomical thing. And remember how Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. So sometimes you cannot differentiate between the two. So for me, and I know um, some believe that you can apply this to, to both, to respect the leaders who are in charge of us. Now, granted, this is Greta Bennett's opinion, but all leaders, but that does not mean that in respecting them and submitting to their authority that we accept ungodly behavior or ungodly decisions. For those of us, you know, here in America or in most countries, you have some type of a system, hopefully, where you can vote people in and vote people out. But you want them to make sound decisions, decisions that help the masses and not just a few, that you want them to be thinking forward of the things that will occur in the future and to anticipate different things, to understand the consequences of them saying yes to this bill or no to this bill and what it really looks like down the line. Are they making decisions for the betterment of our community? Within the body of Christ, you can allow that same thing, but then it's like, are they making the decisions that are in line with um, the scriptures? Are they making decisions that are in line with our church practices and traditions? Are they people of good character, as we saw Paul point out to se in several of the other letters to different congregations? And so, yes, he's saying we still need to submit to them because God put them there. Even if we think we put them there by electing them, God allowed it to happen. And so there's a reason why. And so there's a way that we can still be respectful for the leaders that we have, even though we may not agree with them. Now, I know here in America, there were a number of people who didn't um, agree with the former president and they called him just by his name. I mean, his number uh, the, 40, the 45th president. And I had friends who I won't call his name. He's just, you know, 45. Well, that's a, a form of being disrespectful. You know, we are Christians. We know that our prayers are heard by God and that he honors them. So let's pray for the individuals who aren't making good decisions and godly decisions. Let's pray for those people who aren't walking circumspectly before God, not bad mouth them. And then what you do is the next go around where it's time to elect, then you elect the next person. I have seen bumper stickers on our cars that have a bad word about the current president, 46. Well, granted, you may not agree with him or whatever, but it's just disrespectful. But I would expect that from someone who is an unbeliever, but I absolutely do not expect it for someone who says that they know Christ. Once again, 
your walk and your talk aren't marrying up with the relationship that you say you have within Jesus. Jesus was really never disrespectful to anyone when we look at his life. The only time he really came unglued was with the religious authorities because they were hypocrites. So we don't want to be hypocrites. After all that, then Paul goes back in identifying um, those to have that have a better understanding of the doctrine as stronger. Yet he cautions them not to use it against those who are, you know, who don't quite understand as well as they do. The weak and the strong um, metaphor that he used earlier in in the letter. Right. He's kind of like doing a summary of all the things that he spoke about earlier. But remember, just because God has revealed revealed to you a better understanding of scripture. Right. If your brother and sister doesn't have that better understanding, then you can gently if if the Holy Spirit's like, oh, no, I'm going to use you to bring them into the light. You know, you can talk to them about it. But if they don't agree, then you have to you still have to go on. You have to think about what you do, how it will affect others. And then after all of this, then Paul concludes with the words of encouragement, which I think is so important. He speaks life to them, that he believes that they are good and that God is going to do amazing things through them, which I think is amazing. Like after all, you need to do this, present your bodies this way. Don't you remember this? Then he goes, but you know what? You are good. You can do this. I think that's what we should do in all types of um, confrontations that we have with individuals. Yeah, there's something that we have to say, but let's make sure that we say it in love and we're not tearing down the, the person as a person, right? And then he concludes in his true fashion in the very last chapter where he sends greetings to various people within the community of believers that he has a special relationship with. That's chapter 16. I think... You know, this whole, this is the last book that we're going to discuss about Paul. And we see that he takes his parental role for for the churches that he plants very seriously. He addresses the issues that are keeping them back, you know, that they're struggling with, that, that keep them from being all that they can be in God. And although he admonishes them strongly, it's not harsh. You know, he doesn't mince words, but you can read that what he says is out of love. He doesn't do things to hurt people's feelings. Now, granted, (laughs) the letter in Galatians, we may take an exception to that. (laughs) And I think that's an example um, that he can be strong and yet not use harsh words. That's an example that we can learn from today. What is the scripture that says, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no? It's Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 37, right? And so Paul is clear what his intentions are. He's intentional about what it is that he he wants and what he expects from them. We too need to be intentional about our actions and what we're doing. Walking in the fruit of the spirit will help you in this season, you know, to season your words appropriately while being direct and clear about what it is that you need or you want. Too often, you know, I've worked with individuals who who were not direct and when they weren't direct and they were in a leadership role, it caused the staff to second to guess about what was needed. That's not good. I've worked with bosses who were very direct and they were very harsh in their words. 
And so they tore the staff down. That wasn't good. And then I worked with the bosses who understood the power of their words, that they were both direct, but they were nurturing as well. And this allowed the staff to grow. Like we knew that, yeah, we we may get a slap on the wrist if we made a wrong decision, but that they wouldn't attack our character, that they would give us room to grow and to try other things. And because we knew that we could do this, we really made less mistakes and we could anticipate things that were to come. This is what we should strive for, the latter, to be those type of people who can season our words with love while still being direct. For caregivings, putting our heads in the sand is not an option. You know, to pretend that something isn't going to happen. We can't do it. We have to be intentional. We must face the challenge of caregiving, the difficult diagnoses that may lie ahead. You know, time is not our friend here in this season. And so we have to take advantage of it. And so knowing what's going to come is a part of taking advantage of it. Asking the right questions at the right time is key. Don't mince words with your healthcare team or your um, case managers or your loved ones. When mama came to live with me, she had high blood pressure, high cholesterol. After I transferred her Medicare coverage thing from Texas to Hawaii, I got her a primary health doctor. At the appointment, I was there with my little pink journal to document everything. He ran tests. You know, we went through the whole gambit, decided that she needed to see a nephrologist where we discovered she had kidney um, disease. And it was kind of scary there because her kidneys got down to, I want to say it was like 23%. And he stated when he did a uh, ultrasound of her kidney that it was her high blood pressure that caused her kidney demise. But he would, when we would go to him, he would say things like, oh, this is up, this is down, um, this is due to diet. And I was like, diet? He was like, yeah, the stuff that you eat. And I didn't think that we ate a lot of um, fast food. I didn't think we ate a lot of fast food, just leave it at that. But I would go get it if it was convenient. You know, I'd been at work, okay, I'm going to grab a hamburger and stuff. I cut that out. <laughs> I did more cooking, which I liked. And I was able to... And then, so we changed her diet, and then I started taking her to acupuncturist, and we went to this one acupuncturist, and she was amazing. And that day I went to her when I found out about the the kidney, and God just set it up because she could immediately tell that I wasn't my bubbly self, and she asked me what's wrong, and I was like, well, Mama has kidney disease, and she has, you know, like 20 per, 23% function. And she looked at me, she said, can she take? vitamins I said yes she can take vitamins and everything I mean mama was still mobile talking and everything then and she was like I'm gonna make her a um a tea she goes actually she can just put it in her tea or coffee and she said give it to her um every morning and this should help her and so I did she went in the back and I could hear her messing around with stuff and she came out with this little bottle and it looked just I don't know what it looked like it looked like some green powder or something dried leaves or whatever but we would put it in her tea. It would dissolve her coffee. No, because she, she only got coffee in the weekends. So it was tea. And she did that. And I stopped the uh, as much fast food. And by the next time we saw the nephrologist was about four months. We had gotten her up to 40%. And he said, and then he goes, he goes, you actually did it. He goes, I've never had anyone to change their diet and stuff to bring them off bring um, the numbers up and he said 
you don't ever have to worry about your mother going on dialysis as long as you keep this up. And I told him about the tea that the um, acupuncturist had given me and he, he wrote that in her file. And so, you know, taking the hard stand, asking the right questions, not being afraid to talk, taking the salt shaker away from mama at times, right? We need to be intentional about what we do. Each step of, you know, our journey with my mom as mother and daughter and then as mother and caregiver, I maintained an, an open and honest dialogue with all of her healthcare team, the acupuncturists, the nephrologists, the, um, oh, her regular PCM, the um, neuro doctor, I, which I can't say right now, neurologist, there you go. All of those people, I told them we're all a team and I need to do what's best for my mom. And so I, I would make sure that all of them were abreast of what was going on with the other. And I could tell that they appreciated that. And I kept everything in that little pink journal. And so burying my head in the sand isn't an option and it's not an option for you. I constantly had to remind myself that God didn't give me the spirit of fear, but of power. Because, you know, while she got the diagnosis of Alzheimer's and it was extremely scary at times and, it, and fearful, you know, through the Holy Spirit, you know, he would not allow me, he would not allow that fear to paralyze me because I trust in God, right? And I'm stressing to you that you can't either, that whatever it is that your loved one is facing and, and the road ahead, you can face it with Christ. You can do it with Christ. And whatever your loved one can do at this period of time, do it with them. Because as I stated, time isn't on our side in this. And there will come a time with the disease that they will rob them of certain things that they can do. So while they can do it, while you can do it with them, do it. Because it'll be great for them. And it'll be great for you because then you'll have memories of the things that you did together. And so that is it for this episode. Let's go to God in prayer. Holy God, we thank you. We thank you for being a God who loves us. And we thank you for being a God that extended your love to us. That you, even though you used a particular community, your intention was always to make yourself self available to the world. And we thank you, Lord, for touching our hearts so that we would accept your invitation. Right now, Father, we pray for those people who have not accepted your invitation at this time, for our loved ones who are still walking away from your calling. We pray, Father, that you continue to knock at their hearts and you move people within their path that will keep sprinkling, planting, fertilizing the seed in their hearts so that one day, Lord, they will come to accept our Savior, your Son, as Jesus Christ. That one day we're trusting in you for that because we know you love them more than we do. And so we know that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. And so this community of believers in this podcast are coming on one accord praying for the our family members who don't know you we're coming on one accord father praying for our family members who you've given us charge over to care for them while they're here i ask that you alleviate the suffering the pain that they may be enduring i ask that you surround 
them and the caregiver with competent, compassionate health care providers that will do the right thing, that will help them. I ask, Father, that you open up the windows for their insurance programs and policies so that they can get the assistance that they need. We love you, Lord. And even though we are in a world that is inhospitable to us at times, we know that you've overcome the world and therefore so have we. And so we refuse to allow the enemy to speak to us words of fear because we know that we have power in you. And it is in that power that we will continue to wake up every morning, give you the praise and do whatever it is that you have for us to do in this season. We want our lives to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right, my caregiving family, I will see you next episode. Go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye.